Please welcome two Star Trek crew members in red uniforms, which means they'll be killed off by the first commercial break, which is an inside joke if you've ever seen the old Star Trek TV series. And if you have not seen it, well, just pretend you understand and skip over this listener-supplied intro because it's Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. That may be the longest listener-supplied intro ever, thanks to Bob. Nicholas Gordon is responsible for that. Yeah. Stop him. Nicholas Gordon has actually supplied a fair number of our intros. What if his friends call him Nick? Or maybe they call him Lass. Or maybe they say, because Nick can't say no. That's a radio ad. What is that I, from? I don't, I don't know. I think you, it's from like a... Me. I don't know what it's from. You know, you it's, know it's, it's interesting about this whole Redbox thing. You know, Redbox is yeah. going to start selling video games. I know. Two bucks. Now, I would do that. I would go rent a video game... For two bucks a night from Redbox. You would. I would. I swear I would. I mean, I don't you know, like Red Dead Redemption or some of these cool games that are out. Because he, he, here's the thing. I understand why Netflix doesn't want to rent video games. Uh-huh. Because video games have no lifespan. Like, if a video game is a year old, it is yesterday's news to every kid in the world. Kind of like a hit rap single. Yeah, really. Yeah, the li- uh, lifespan of a, of, a, of a rap track is, you know, about two weeks. Yeah, like uh, with movies, it's different. Like somebody will always run Casablanca forever. Yes. Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Somebody will always yes. run Wizard of Oz. Yes. But if your video game is 18 months old, it is dead. Nobody will ever, ever rent. No one's renting Madden 2009. Yeah. Not going to happen. No. So I can see why Netflix wouldn't be interested. But you know what? For two bucks a pop, I'd go for it. Yeah. Starting June seventeenth, twenty one thousand red box kiosks. Eventually, all that stuff will be in the cloud. I hate I, that term. You know what? I the reason why I like that term is because they found the one word that somehow gives it this. It gives it the right feel. Yeah. As if it's this super uh, realist, uh, the super uh, ultra, you know, futuristic, futuristic, thing. crazy Logan's Run. When all yeah. they're talking about is remote servers. It's just. <laughs> That's all it is. Uh, his, Serv, it's server-based junk. Okay, here you go. You ready? Yeah. This is the movie that you're going to write that will go straight to DVD in about two years. Yeah. There is a, a man has created a man-made server planet because of just the need yes. that we have For to data. store things, store data on the cloud. Yeah. So man builds a server planet. Okay, and people live on the server planet because you know the servers have to be uh, you know have to be you know, upgraded uh-huh. and there's uh, there's fixes and yeah, sure. servers go down and sure. whatever. So there's some sort of a crisis on the server planet. Okay, and um, and there you go. Okay, that's all I got. And uh, they then a a satellite crash lands on the server planet, and they think it's kindred, and they fix it, and they send V'ger back. I knew V'ger was Thank coming. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you knew there was a V'ger joke. Always a V'ger joke. It's the worst. Love it. Decker, Ilya. Decker, Ilya. Oh, speaking of Decker and Ilya, yes. at, at, at the Ralph's supermarket in Studio City, uh-huh. I saw Catherine Hicks from Star Trek Four. You know what? To me, Catherine Hicks is not Star Trek Four. Catherine Hicks is Tucker's Witch, and I want to know when is Tucker's Witch going to be on DVD. I know, it's one of those lost shows, kind of like, you know, uh, King's Crossing. King's Crossing only lasted a few episodes, uh, but I, I'd like to see it on DVD. Come on, give me my shows. King's hmm. Crossing, Tucker's Witch. Love them. King's Crossing, Tucker's Witch? Who are yeah, you? I know. King's Crossing, seriously. It would, uh, look it up. 
That, that won't be happening. Yeah, I know. It probably won't be happening. All right. Well, let's let's talk about some DVDs. Can uh, I say something, by the way, before we start? Sure. This is like the worst week for DVD release. I wonder why. I don't know, man. It's, uh, you know, it, th- there are some big releases coming. Uh, a big one, a few big ones came in the last couple of days. But uh, otherwise, you know, I mean, there's some decent stuff. It's just not sort of like the big bombshell stuff. And I think, well, well, look, here's here's the reason. I think because they, they want to time some of these releases to not be completely bowled over by whatever the big summer movie releases are because when Thor is opening and when which we liked by the way which we liked yeah um, you know who's going to go out and rent it or buy anything well uh, just to give you a sense of what's coming up later on in the next maybe 60 days 90 days before we talk about uh, Webster Season 2, which you know, Webster Season 2, we can't wait to talk about that. It's big. Uh, Battle Los Angeles coming out on uh, June 14th. Uh, We have um, uh, Beastly, which is a horrible picture, but it's coming out on June 28th. Um, The Boondock Saints, the Truth and Justice edition, a new edition of Boondock Saints, that this, this marginal cult film that won't go away from 99 with Willem Dafoe. That's coming out July 14th. And um, The Island is coming out. There's a new version of The Island from 2005 coming out on Blu-ray on uh, June 21st. So Whoa. you know what? Even even coming up, there's not a whole lot of stuff out there. Woo. That's what I said. Well, you know, I'm going to start off with a, a one-off title here that is completely bizarre and obscure. Uh, it comes from Facets. And, you know, Facets, really, their their business is all about finding the stuff that really the art stuff that nobody else releases the you know a lot of uh, Czech new wave films a lot of films from China a lot of films from uh, from India and Iran and you know they a lot of really offbeat american independent films you know facets is kind of like the out criterion and out kino criterion and kino uh, and they have released i think a really interesting set here the films of James Broughton uh, James Broughton is an experimental filmmaker who kind of predates Stan Brakhage and I think in many ways is more interesting than Stan Brakhage. And, you know, Criterion released uh, all those Brakhage films, but this is a three-disc set from Facets, films of James Broughton, who was active for about 40 years from the 40s into the 80s. And uh, there are 17 films here, and it's really fascinating, very interesting stuff. There's uh, a disc of uh, early black and white stuff, uh, some color stuff from the middle period, and uh, then some, uh, some stuff that he made with Joel Singer, who I also have never heard of, uh, later on. Uh, kind of the final, this was the, the final output, the final outburst of uh, creativity. Uh, there's some pretty explicit stuff on here, but it's all very artful, very kind of poetic, and uh, kind of beautifully experimental. And I'm not a real avant-garde experimental film guy normally. I, I can respect it on a certain level, but I don't find myself kind of engaged by it emotionally. But um, Broughton's a, a worthwhile guy. So uh, if, it's, if that's your, your vibe, check it out. By the way, is if you needed anything to know how much more experimental this is, Mark, there's a quote on the box here, right on the front. This is the, the, the lead quote that they have. His films are celebrations on the joys of living. Do you know who said that? Oh, Wade, uh, Pete Hammond, Wade Major. No, he once came to uh, one of our awards dinners, and you and I thought he was a homeless guy that had, uh, that had crashed the thing. Do you hmm, remember that? No. And then, they, and then it turned out we were honoring him that evening? Oh, yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> um, uh, Read it off the box. Jonas Meckes. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah, his, his little film where he's dancing in front of the camera. That's, yeah, you know crazy what? old, crazy old coot. 
the thing with Jonas Mackis is that I, I, I have to say, you know, thank God for the LA Film Critics <laughs> Association. They, they really, they really do. They really do honor the, the, the best in film, mm. the people who, who don't get the recognition that they yes. deserve. But you know what? Sometimes some of the members are so far up their own butt with some of these <laughs> people. It's like, honestly. True. Uh, that's totally true. Well, but, let's, you know, let's, let's dive right into some, uh, some foreign stuff then. Well, let's uh, dive into the film that uh, would have won uh, the uh, best uh, animated film of last year if it wasn't for Toy Story 3, The Illusionist. Oh, I love this movie. You know, I love The Illusionist because it was uh, done by the same guys who did The Triplets of Belleville. And that was like eight years ago. It was a long time ago. It was like seven years ago. It takes a long time to do uh, hand-drawn cell animation. Not if you're the family guy. Uh, I guess. Um, and this, what I love about this film is that I'm a huge fan of Jacques Tati. If, if I'm in a certain mood, I will say that Playtime is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, so Although it's definitely, it's definitely like top ten or something. But, you know, if I really want to put my own head up my butt, I will say that Playtime is my number one film of all time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the film is uh, it's based on a never-produced script by Tati. And uh, the main character is very Tati-ish, as uh, obviously Tati starred in uh, pretty much all of his films. And uh, this is just terrific stuff. It is, You know what it is? It is winsome and charming with a great score. And it is all about sort of how this one guy, this one older guy who's like Tati, he sort of he befriends this young girl who's sort of at the start of her journey, whereas, you know, the Tati character is sort of towards the end. And uh, I just thought it was delightful. It is wonderful. And the thing is, you have to go in expecting almost more of a Tati film than a... um than kind of a, a tr- even any kind of an animated film because it uh, no go ahead drink your water make noises oh so you you could hear that oh yeah sure could you really that's okay that's okay you know, by man, the way okay, man's okay. got a drink here's the, re- here's the reason why I cannot hear that I mean yeah. I, I sense that you the audience <laughs> probably could hear it yeah. the reason I can't is because my headphones have been broken for two months yeah and uh, we have yet to spring for twenty dollars to buy new headphones <laughs> so I, I don't wear headphones so I don't know what's happening I will uh, I will remedy that. Oh, I'll won't. remedy that this week. No, you won't. But you don't like wearing headphones is the problem. Uh, I, I, no, you know what? I don't like wearing headphones if I'm going out after the show. Yeah. Because I don't want to mess up my oh, hair. that's what it wearing is. headphones. Well, anyway, no, Sylvan Chomet, who uh, did the film, it's, it's, it's very much his animation, but it's not his storytelling style. He really does uh, cop to uh, Tati here. And I think it's great. I think it's you know, a wonderful caricature of Tati. And the, the, you have to focus on the film. You have to really pay attention to the details in the film. He doesn't let them pop out at you. And I appreciate that. You know, that's not something you get normally in animated films. Beautiful score, too. Um, the uh, How I Ended This Summer is the latest from Film Movement. Filmmovement.com is where you can go to get more information on their fascinating and very, very uh, innovative distribution strategy because it's basically a DVD of the month club, and then it comes out for the public later, but you always get kind of the first shot at it. And it's like a little film festival to, to get these things every month. It's, um, there's always a short on them. And uh, this film is a Russian film. It's called How I Ended This Summer by uh, director Alexei Popogrebsky. His pals just call him Al Popo. And, or, or just Alpo. Or just Alpo, for, for short. Why not? And uh, the, uh, it's an interesting – it's kind of like my dinner with Andre uh, at the Arctic Circle, except not. The, uh, it's, it's a really fascinating, very intimate, isolated character study with these two guys in uh, an observation station around the, Arct- the Arctic Circle and uh, what transpires because of their detachment from society and their close proximity to each other. Actually really well written, incredibly well photographed, fascinating film. Uh, it's long, though. You know, it really takes its time to transpire. But 
it's a it's really really well done uh, fascinating picture you definitely should check it out if you like foreign films and uh, comes with a short from um, that was actually a big slam dance hit called First Day of Peace by a Bosnian Herzegovina director named Mirko Ruknov and uh, you know the uh, one of the better short films I've seen lately actually better than any of the short films that were nominated for an Oscar what was what was up with that category did you see any of the nominated shorts I did not the live action shorts I did not dreadful terrible and the worst one won. It was the most film studenty of all of them. Lame. Lame, man. Lame. Um, we also have a film called Farewell, which I don't think got a really great release here. Uh, Farewell was a film that was, uh, hate to say it, Mark, this was a Colcoa film. Oh, no. Yep. Go ahead and, and, and whip out your Colcoa cred. Thank you. Thank you. It was a Colcoa film last year, City of Light, City of Angels Festival, My and I was on the jury. We saw this. <laughs> uh, it, uh, uh, you know, here's the thing. It's, it's extremely well done. Um, it's uh, Christian Carrion who um, uh, directed it, and Christian Carrion was the... Uh, well, he's he's been a, a major French filmmaker for quite a while. He's he wrote it and he directed it. It's very very good, but some of the casting drove me nuts. And I'll tell you exactly what it is. Now, first of all, what this is basically about it's, a, it's it takes place in the early '80s, and it is essentially about the spy scenario that transpired in the Soviet Union that led to, or that was one of the factors in leading to the demise of the Soviet Union. Involving, you know, a, a, a Russian guy who had turned informant, and he contacted, the, you know, this uh, spy at the who was didn't like a reluctant spy um, at the uh, French um, uh, embassy, and uh, how he begins passing information, and you know, it, it's it's really actually quite interesting, and um, a lot of it is in English because you deal with, uh, you know. Uh, uh, all these different languages and all the different political situations. However, Fred Ward as Ronald Reagan just took me right the hell out of the movie. It <laughs> Fred, just, Ward. Fred Ward. Doing, Fred Ward doing Ronald Reagan just took me right the hell out of the movie. It was unbelievable. Uh, the French spy, the reluctant spy, is played by uh, Guillaume Canet, who is a good, great filmmaker in his own right. You know, he uh, directed Tell No One. A terrific, terrific a terrifically film. confusing film. Yeah, really good film. But honestly, I you know the Fred Ward is as as uh, Ronald Reagan took me right out. Willem Dafoe shows up in this thing as well. There are actually a lot of American actors. David Soul, by the way, plays uh, one of Ronald Reagan's advisors. Awesome, isn't that great? It's time for David Soul uh, 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 resurrection. It really is. You know, he 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 was on stage in London the last time we were there a couple of years ago, uh, starring in you know what it was? Um, uh, how to succeed in business? Jerry like? Springer the musical. <sighs> he was playing Jerry Springer. You know why he was doing that in London? Why? Because nobody will hire him in America. <laughs> but seriously, Hutch is playing Jerry Springer on stage in London. That's what, the, what's, but whoever would have imagined that? And you realize that Starsky directed like The Running Man, a huge yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger action yeah. film. That and he like, like now hawks reverse mortgages or something on TV. Terrible. Yeah. What's not terrible is A Somewhat Gentle Man. Now, this is an interesting uh, Norwegian film. This is kind of a... Uh, it's a gangster comedy, but it's not like a ha-ha comedy. It's very much uh, the laughs are kind of drawn from mm-hmm. the characters. And yeah. um, Stellan Skarsgård, who we all love, who is in uh, Thor, by the way, he plays a, um, a grandfather-to-be who is released uh, from prison after 12 years. And uh, all he wants to do is uh, look for a job and you know, a place to live, wants to live out his life, see his grandkids, and uh, live a quiet life. Fabulous. Of course, in these movies... Whenever someone gets out of prison and they want to escape the life, what happens? 
the life finds oh, them. Oh, right when you want to, when you thought you were out, they pull you back in. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, yeah. uh, Godfather Three, and uh, so it's all about what happens when uh, the Stellan Skarsgård character leaves uh, prison. It's a really funny film. Again, it's not a ha-ha funny. It's character funny. So it's really odd-odd and really charming. And it's good stuff. It really is. Norwegian film, A Somewhat Gentle Man. And I would, uh, I would definitely recommend it. I would hit the red box for this. Would you really? Yeah. yeah all right. For a buck? For a buck? All right. That's so sad. Go. Like a buck just devalued. Can you imagine like you spend $175 million on your film and no. you go and rent it for a buck outside of 7-Eleven? You know, you know here's, here's what devalues movies is when suddenly they go, hey, uh, YouTube is now renting movies and they've immediately got 9,000 movies available. How do you compete? How do you become – like movie making is going to become a hobby if suddenly it's just thousands of them out there and – they're just they're just pouring out there nonstop, and you know you can get them for a buck. It's like no, there there has to be some scarcity to the thing. Well, I'm just afraid that uh, that uh, people are going to start to get a little confused. Yeah, they like are. if you want to watch the, the God whatever. Yeah, is it on YouTube? Is it on Hulu? Is it on? I, is it on look, Crackle? Is I'm it gonna on... I'm gonna give away a, a little something that I, I I was saying this some years ago. I said the the there has to be a way of doing this sensibly because you can't have – now it's going to be a different kind of format war. It's going to be like, where do I find this movie? And the people who are going to make money are the ones who actually provide the uh, clearinghouse to get to where you want – you know, where you go, I don't know. I'm just going to go to the Google of, that finds me the movie. Um, it, it can't be that difficult. You have to have what it should have been. It shouldn't be – there shouldn't be a Netflix and there shouldn't be all these other companies. There should be a concerted effort by the studios. It should go through the MPAA and they should have created their own, their own site where all of the movies are served by the studios individually but the site is your portal. Well, the, the problem with that yeah. is that all the studios, they sell their movies to a lot of these services. Yeah. It become it's it's just a library play. You're selling yeah. your library to whoever. Yeah. If the if the studios do it themselves, then they're not selling the library. They're cutting to, out the middleman. They're getting the money directly from the consumer. Yeah. So the studio would charge you know three bucks. Whatever they would, whatever it is. But it, it at least you, it, you make it easy to find, and you make it easy to promote certain films, and you have a film of the month, and everybody picks, you know, a, a, a well, this is this month, and you and you kind of program it like a film festival, or like a revi- or like the American Cinematheque, or you know, the AFI. You you program it so that hey, you know, uh, March TCM does this right. March is uh, Humphrey Bogart month. So then you highlight all the Humphrey Bogart movies, and people will watch those because they feel like they sort of want to be on board with whatever is being, you know, pushed. And yeah, it's kind of a cheap consumer trick, but good grief, that's the only way that you're ever going to maximize those libraries. Otherwise, it's just like letting people look for a, a needle in a haystack. It's crazy. It's it really it's not it's not helping the libraries. <laughs> you, you you sounded kind of uh, Walken esque when you said it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I sometimes. It's just crazy. Sometimes I see headlights and I want to drive right into them. <laughs> Whatever that line is. <laughs> One of the unsung Christopher Walken roles. Annie Hall. Come on, Annie Hall's brother. Awesome. It's great. It's when that's when Christopher Walken first captured everyone's attention and people thought, "Wow, he's kind of weird." I like you know, him. I bought a I bought a book today strictly because Woody Allen recommended it. Really? There was I read an article. And Woody Allen has a uh, a new movie coming out, Midnight in Paris. By the way, are you going to the premiere? Uh, uh, Midnight in Paris next Wednesday? Uh, no, I'm seeing it tomorrow afternoon. What? 
there was a premiere at the Academy. Yes. The whole nine yards. What is Mark Love at these things? Food. Yeah. Reception. Yeah. Midnight in Paris. Anyway, so to promote it. Well, it just it just premiered at Cannes. So. I'm, I'm sure it's terrible, by the way. I, I have a feeling it's terrible. Well. Um, so the, to promote the film, uh, Woody, was inter- he's doing a bunch of interviews. Is he showing up at the premiere? Uh, no. Well, then why go? Uh, because I want to get free food. Okay. Uh, plus, I love the Academy Theater. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, uh, Woody uh, was asked like his five favorite novels of all time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he mentioned this one novel, The World of S.J. Perlman, who wrote a bunch of the um, – who helped write a bunch of the Marx Brothers films. And mm-hmm. he was an essayist, and Woody said he was like the funniest guy he's ever read. So I bought the book, The World of S.J. S.J. Perlman. Wow. All right. I'm done. Very good. All right. Got a, uh, got a tweaked and twisted, totally disturbing and sick and psychotic Korean film here called I Saw the Devil. And uh, you know what? I, I, I don't know what – what goes on in Korea and Japan, but they are just completely screwed up over there. They are brilliant and screwed up. This film is unbelievable. I mean, like so many Korean films. Jeez, how many Korean films are just so tweaked where Six. you just think, huh? Six. Oh, thank you. But but you know what I mean. It's it's it, they're they're so tweaked over there. They really it's, are. It, it's just, it's unbelievable. Well, because of the, here's the thing: all all uh, a lot of these Asian cultures, they're very uh, they they seem very serene. And buttoned up yeah. and quiet Ugh. on the surface, but you know what that always means. Yeah, there's some crazy crap going down underneath. Well, this is a, this is a beautifully made, incredibly sharp film. We got it on Blu-ray, and man, it's spectacular looking Blu-ray from Magnolia. But my gosh, what a tweaked movie! Uh, it's about this serial killer who winds up taking. Mean, he just he's a ruthless serial killer, and he takes out the wrong woman who not only is the uh, the daughter of a police chief, but she's also pregnant and she's engaged to a special agent who uh, winds up taking it upon himself to seek revenge for her murder and fill in the blanks. Oh, my gosh. This is just, it, it becomes the, you know, like if you did this as a Clint Eastwood movie or as a Charles Bronson movie, it would like be fun, popcorn, be fair. But here it's like just tweaked and it's arty. And you just you want to shower afterwards. You really do. You, you want just, to watch Old Boy afterwards. Ooh, gosh, yeah, Old Boy is like Pinocchio compared to this. <laughs> really, truly, I'm telling you. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, you know, we should we should go into some uh, some music and well, actually here. Let me get this stuff out. You can you can you're a fan of that thing. You know I am? her, yeah. But I'll I'll make quick mention first. Uh, we got a UFC thing here, a little twofer on DVD and on Blu-ray. Uh, I, I guess if you're really into UFC, you can get it on Blu-ray. I don't kind of see the point, but um, this is UFC Ultimate Royce Gracie. And uh, if you followed not just UFC but any of the uh, kind of Ultimate Fighting stuff from the earliest days, even before UFC existed. Uh, the Gracies are like the family. And uh, when in 1993, um, this is when Royce Gracie came out and just kind of, you know, elevated the family's name even beyond where uh, all of his other, you know, siblings and cousins and extended family had. I mean, the Gracies are all, it's um, it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu is their specialty. And uh, they were right there with mixed martial arts from the very beginning. And uh, kind of made Royce Gracie's the guy who sort of made UFC. They built it on his back, and uh, you know, fascinating figure. But I, I don't really like jujitsu, so I've never been a huge fan of the Gracies because it's Are sort you of boring. Anti-Semitic? 
Huh? You don't like jujitsu's? Oh, exactly. You are just insane. no. Here's here, here's the problem I always have with the Gracies. It's like when I watch full contact stuff, you know, like mixed martial arts. I want to see guys out there punching, kicking, doing a little bit of you know rock and roll, move, shake, shimmy, dodge, thrust, parry, bang, right? You know the old. Uh, Bugs Bunny yes, thing. yes, yeah. homoerotic boy. What? Thank you. But but what the Gracies do is like they'll go out and they like jump the other guy and wrap their arms and legs around him like they're humping him, and then they just sort of stifle and suffocate them until they win. Well, I thought the idea was to win. Well, it is, but it's not very entertaining. Well, that the, 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 but the, that the idea said, is not to good. entertain you. The idea is to win. I guess. I ain't going to buy a ticket. Uh, yeah, talk about the, that, that uh, Whitney chick. Uh, Whitney Cummings, uh, Money Shot, live and uncensored. Uh, Whitney Cummings is on the uh, E! Uh, late Night Show Chelsea Lately. She's uh, pretty funny. Um, my thing with her is that she's, a, she's becoming a little too much like um, those female comics who, for whatever reason, feel that they just have to be like Sarah Silverman and just talk about sex all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, she's she looks like Sarah Silverman. She's tall. She's pretty. She has long black hair. And I feel like it all just becomes about like, oh look, the woman's being transgressive because she's talking about anal sex. Yeah. Wow, that's just that's just automatically funny for some reason. Yeah. And uh, I'm not really a fan of that, but she does have some uh, funny stuff to say. So this is uh, Whitney Cummings, the Money Shot, live and uncensored. Groovy. From the good folks at uh, Image Entertainment. Check it out. Uh, you know, it's, it's okay. Teddy Pendergrass. I often talk about Teddy Pendergrass with uh, my friend Dean, who is a listener to the show on occasion, because um, Dean still looks like Teddy Pendergrass. I'm telling you, Dean, you, you missed your calling in life. I uh, could have been a Teddy Pendergrass impressionist. Anyway, this is Teddy Pendergrass live in 82 from Shout Factory. And uh, this is a performance that Teddy Pendergrass did at the Hammersmith Odeon in London in 1982, and, uh, you know, guy's just legendary. I mean, really, really great singer. And a lot of classics here. If you, have, uh, if you grew up not being exposed to Teddy Pendergrass, you missed a lot. You really did. Uh, Where Did All the Loving Go? Come Go With Me, Turn Off the Lights, Love TKO. I mean, come on. Nobody, nobody names songs like Love TKO. That is so 70s, isn't awesome. it? Awesome. That's great. I love that. Uh, a lot of great stuff here. Really, really good. So uh, it was nice reliving this. And uh, you, you just forget how what a, what a velvety, smooth, awesome voice the guy had. Those were the days, man. You Luther know, Vandross and Teddy Pendergrass. You know who's a great singer, but I would not call his voice velvety smooth? Huh? James Brown. There you go. You know, James Brown retired <laughs> in like, uh, he retired from, from, you know, hardcore touring and like, yes. You know who's a liar? You know who's a liar? Uh, who? Al Sharpton. Because? You're wondering what this has to do with James Brown. Uh, you know what? I'm thinking uh, African-American singer <laughs> Al no. Sharpton. Al Sharpton and James Brown uh, were very good lifelong friends. And everybody always asked Al Sharpton, Al, what the hell is up with your hair? And he said, uh, this, is, this is the hair. I, you know, I got this hair for, for James Brown, and uh, I will wear this hair, this style, until James Brown dies. James Brown died. Al Sharpton hasn't changed his hair. I just wish Al Sharpton would die. Thank you. Uh, anyway, um, James Brown stopped touring in 1975, but in 1979, there was a uh, comeback TV special. And this is it, James Brown, Body Heat, live in Monterey. This is uh, not a lot of songs on this, but the ones they throw on there are great. And, of course, James Brown is great in it. Uh, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, uh, Georgia On My Mind, Sex Machine. Good stuff. Get off of that thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, video-wise... 
not a lot to write home about. This is not a Blu-ray. It's a DVD. It looks okay. Uh, the audio is acceptable. Um, but if you're a James Brown completist, you are really going to want to see James Brown Body Heat live in Monterey, Wade. Rock on, yeah. Uh, Rory Gallagher, um, Irish Tour. They sent us both the CD, Rory Gallagher Irish Tour, and they sent us uh, Rory Gallagher Irish Tour 74 on Blu-ray. Not exactly the same thing. They were kind of put together uh, a little bit differently, so it's not like one completely mirrors the other, but uh, a lot of the same songs on here. Walk on Hot Coals and Tattooed Lady and uh, Cradle Rock and... uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, I I don't know. How do you feel about Rory Gallagher? You you big on Rory? No, no, I'm really not. Okay, actually, now it's, it's not. I'm big on Ireland though. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Tony Palmer, who um, was you know, Tony Palmer's like a veteran, music obsessed filmmaker. Um, it, it, you know, don't really see any filmmaking here per se. It just kind of captures the tour, but. Uh, you know something about the seventies in the in the rocker, the rocker vein. The you know, I don't know, doesn't do the same thing for me that Teddy Pendergrass did in eighty two. Roy Gallagher and Teddy Pendergrass are two completely different artists. I know that's what I'm saying. It's just you know, completely. Well, whatever. Moving on. It's a nice Blu-ray. I mean, you know, it's but it's seventy four. It's all kind of grainy and seventies looking. That's right? the thing. You're you you you're really there for the for its historic value. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Uh, Kenny Chesney is on Blu-ray as well, and in 3D. You get 2D and 3D Blu-ray f- stuff of Kenny Chesney, Summer in 3D. Um, boy, I really go up and down on, on country acts. Uh, Kenny Chesney is one of those guys who's just got to lose the cowboy hat at some point. It just, it's, it, I know it's part of the image, but whatever. It's sort of like, he's, he's kind of like the, uh, a, a, he wants to be a skinnier, more cowboy version of Garth Brooks, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the 3D, I don't get the point. I just don't see it, uh, even for a concert Blu-ray. But um, this is a, a six-night uh, concert performance. Tons of songs. If you're a fan, you'll love stuff like Old Blue Chair. Um, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. Uh, Beer in Mexico. Keg in the Closet. It's kind of a theme here, right? Those are—I mean—could those be anything but country songs? No, no. It's, Beer in uh, Mexico, uh, keg in the closet, old like blue be- chair. Oh, here's my the theory is that all country songs are about beer, women, or prison. Yes. Sometimes all three. Well, sometimes two out of three. Actually, here, you're going to love the name of this song. And and even though this sounds like a country song, it almost should be a Leningrad cowboy song. She thinks my tractor's sexy. There you go. That's dreadful. But the Leningrad Cowboys were all about tractors, except that was more kind of a Russian-Soviet Union joke. Uh, not dreadful is Duke Ellington reminiscing, reminiscing in tempo. This is a film by Gary Keyes, and it oh. is a terrific documentary all about uh, Duke Ellington. It's sort of a companion to uh, the documentary Memories of Duke, which Keyes did like in 1980. And that's uh, good stuff. You know, there's a bunch of unseen footage here from uh, the Duke's um, 1968 Mexico tour. And, you know... Uh, Duke Ellington had a sister, Ruth Ellington, and ever since Duke died, Ruth ha- has been giving a, a birthday party for Duke. Wow, on his really? Birthday, he gets really? a bunch of people together, and they sort That's of reminisce, awesome. and they play music, and there's some footage of that here, but uh, it's really just all about the Duke and the uh, the rare concert footage from 68 uh, in Mexico. Wow. It's just fantastic. Uh, you know, video quality, not great, but that's okay. 
audio quality good enough because again just like james brown we're talking about some very vintage material but uh, if you love duke ellington duke ellington reminiscing in tempo good stuff gary keys wow and count basie is the same thing you know gary keys also the thing on count basie which you can uh, rent in count basie then as now counts the king and uh you know it's funny a lot of these guys like count basie duke ellington they sort of like slipped from memory yeah but they were one of the they were just the, the great band leaders and they lasted for decades. You know, you want to really appreciate Count Basie. Um there's a there, you know what one of his great movie cameo appearances is? Uh Blues Brothers. No. Cinderella. <sighs> there is there's a moment and Cinderella is one hell of a funny movie. It's uh, of course the Jerry Lewis film where he plays Cinderella as a guy, but when he does he appears at the ball and he does this really just groovy Vegasy little Kind of a semi semi shimmy dance down these stairs. Did it? Did it? Did it? It's great. It's you know, it's perfect. It's vintage loungy. It's vintage no, Jerry. It's and they and the the no. orchestra turns around and it's Count Basie no. conducting the orchestra. It's fabulous no. time. No, yes, it is. No, here yes, is the best is. though. The best Count Basie film uh, appearance: huh. Blazing Saddles. Yeah, all right, I'll go with that. He was in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, that's Have true. A cameo. That's true. Anyway, Count Basie then is now counts the king. Uh, there's a roundtable discussion with some old members of the band. And that's cut against uh, some uh, archival clips and uh, and photos and whatnot. Good stuff. Fantastische. It is fantastic. Fantastische. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's roll through some docs, and then uh, we've got a giveaway here with the docs. We do. It, yes, we do. We have a. Give- it's actually kind of a funny giveaway. Um, Maybe you should have told people that at the top of the show. Yeah, so they would it's well, you know, whatever. Uh, so we got a little giveaway here, and then we're going to read some listener mail, and uh, we'll wrap out with whatever we can wrap out with. It's one of those weeks, people. Here's what we're gonna. Here's what we're giving away: the uh, Spike Lee film, "If God Is Willing and the Creek Don't Rise." Uh, this is from HBO Documentary Films, and it is terrific. It is absolutely terrific. Um, the um, this won a Peabody Award, by the way. Uh, you know, Spike Lee was uh, w- did, made an amazing film called "When the Levees Broke: Requiem in Four Acts" about the uh, the you know the, the the flooding in New Orleans, and uh, this is uh, almost kind of a companion piece to it, and uh, it it's great. You know, it's I wish Spike would make more documentaries than feature films because he is so gifted at just. You know, he, he's well, not pa- passing strange, which is the uh, is really good too. Is amazing. I know. I, I love know. that film. It's. I think when he makes narrative films these days, sometimes he gets a little too didactic. But uh, when he's when he's sort of constrained by telling real stories, man, he's good. He's just really, really good. Does an audio commentary in here that is very, very sharp, and you realize, you know, man, the guy really does still have it. And I, I wish he'd kind of find his groove again. Um, but anyway, this is this is just a you know a five years later tribute to the people of uh, of New Orleans, and uh, it it goes along with uh, when the levees broke, and it is absolutely terrific. And we're going to be giving away uh, three copies of this. So uh, here's what you're going to do: tell us um, what your favorite Spike Lee film was. Send us an email at gods at digigods.com. Again, that's gods at digigods.com. And um, just, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be an essay or anything, but just tell us what your favorite Spike Lee film is and why. And uh, the, uh, the responses that we find most poignant, most touching, if you're a real Spike Lee fan, if we get a real sense that you're, uh, this, this guy is a meaningful filmmaker to you for a very important reason, tell us, you know, share something personal 
uh, not too personal, mind you, you know, because Mark... Like jungle Fever is like a Jungle Fever yeah, story yeah, you may not want to share with us? Yeah, don't share something too personal because, you know, Mark will, uh, Mark will save those and who knows what he'll do with them. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, but otherwise, just tell us, you know, send it to gods at digigods.com. Put uh, Spike in the uh, subject line. Just spike? put Spike. Spike. Just put yeah. Spike. And uh, get them to us by, uh, by the uh, 15th. And as long as they're dated on the 15th and, and not later, we're, we'll be good. And we'll, uh, we'll select three winners from that. And we will uh, send you a copy of If God is Willing and Decree Don't Rise. Pretty great. Pretty great. Uh, not so great is Looking for Fidel. This is the Oliver Stone film where he honestly tries somehow. He's lost it. He just—it's like you know, it's one thing. Oh, look, south Ollie, of the border was another one. I know. It's like Oliver. It's one thing to be left wing, but to sort of chum up with Fidel Castro and to try to portray him as being misunderstood—it's like really, honestly, have you gone that far off the deep end? Like what? Seriously. Uh, but anyway, it's you know he, he gets great access. Uh, I'll say that you know he he certainly uh, gets the the full. The full exposure to Fidel, but good grief, a guy who's been wearing the same bunch of army fatigues and talks about La Revolución, it's just, it's so tired. Uh, Fidel's days are done, and uh, can't wait for that guy to croak. Really, he's just been such a pain. Such a pain, but Oliver Stone loves him, and he loves Oliver Stone right back. Uh, also from uh, Cinema Libre, who released that, uh, this is also from Cinema Libre, it's part of their Earth Now series, is the very cleverly titled Gas Hole. And uh, I actually like this a lot better. This, particularly now that uh, gas prices are once again skyrocketing, though they say they'll drop 50 cents in the next few weeks. You hear that? I did not. Yeah, gas price is supposed to drop 50 cents in the next few weeks. Well, I hope so, because it's like 475 for premium. It's insane. You put premium in your car? Yeah. Really? It's a Lexus. You don't have to. Yeah, but I do. I'm supposed to put premium in mine, too. But, you know, it was like three years ago, I just said, forget that. Really? And you don't yeah. put uh, you put regular yeah. gas? Yeah, it's wow. fine. It's fine. Read up online. See, there'll be a bunch of people who'll say, uh, yeah, don't worry about it. What does William say? Uh, you know what? I don't know. We'll ask him. Let's ask William. We'll ask he, him. William knows stuff about stuff that... No one knows about. Well, anyway, uh, Gas Hole is actually really very illuminating. Obviously, it is not a pro-oil company movie, but uh, look, it's pretty, I mean, it, it has an agenda, no doubt about it, but it's a very, very, it's not just a polemic. It's very detailed, the research is very thorough, and uh, it's very, it's provocative. So even if you're kind of on the oil company's side, you, you sort of can't ignore some of the stuff that they, uh, they talk about here. They really, really give you some uh, fascinating input and uh, a lot of a lot of stuff to chew on. So, the the funny thing here is that you know they uh, they they should, all the pictures that they have on the box, the one in the back that's supposed to be so shocking, shows that premium is oh my gosh three ninety nine. Oh, like those these, are the days. Like, I look at the gas prices that are supposed to be shocking on the back of this, and I just go wow. If only bring them back. But you remember there was a moment when gas prices went from, like, they skyrocketed and then they dropped down to... This was, this was like, at the, the early days of the Iraq War. There was a moment when I got gas for 98 cents a gallon. Yep. There was a moment. Uh. Like, a, just a moment. Uh, the Cove. The Oscar-winning The Cove is out on Blu-ray. We've talked about The Cove before. The Cove is a terrific film. Um, and uh, no need to kind of tell you how terrific it is again, but just to say that on Blu-ray, it, it, this is a great transfer. Uh, Lionsgate is is getting better and better with their, uh, at least with doing some of their franchise titles with their uh, their um, 
whatchamacallit, what would you say there, uh, flagship titles. That's it, flagship titles. And uh, we, uh, we gave this an award with LAFCA, too, and the filmmaker came in, and it was uh, quite a privilege. These people did a, did a great job. Beautiful, beautiful, uh, but a difficult film to watch. Um, a few, let's uh, wrap out a few others here. Uh, Revolution in Cairo is a frontline uh, documentary that was aired on PBS fairly recently, uh, obviously, because they had to get right on top of this. And uh, frontline, you know, those guys are amazing at frontline. People don't give them enough credit. You no, know that. I, I agree. I mean, really, they just, they, when the other, when other news organizations were having their people beaten up and kidnapped and, and urinated on and, you know, all this, somehow Frontline just got right inside all of the, uh, the, the, the turnaround when they were calling for Mubarak's ouster. And they put this thing together by the time, you know, Fox and CNN and uh, BBC were finally going, wow, we got our guys back. Frontline had put together a documentary. Awesome. It's incredible. It's really, really good, and uh, you should check it out. It's particularly focused on the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, you know everyone always talks about, well, are they going to be the ones that sort of take over in the country, and then we have to deal with the Muslim fundamentalists instead of you know uh, a secular dictatorship? What's going to happen? It's all of this fear about it. it. This is very thorough. Does it give you any comfortable answers? No, but it's good. It's really good. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, da, 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 da. Mark, you got anything over there? Webster season two. No, 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 no. Oh, here we go. I got, I got. Uh, yeah, do 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 Falco, and um, I'll do Buto here. Uh, speaking of uh, political documentaries, we got a few of these. Uh, Buto is a from first run features. This is a, a beautiful profile of Benazir Buto, the uh, remarkable Pakistani prime minister who, of course, was uh, assassinated some years ago. And uh, it's just breathtaking. Uh, this is an incredible story about an incredible woman and really, really well put together, beautifully told, fantastically professional documentary. Um, excellent in every respect. I can't recommend it highly enough. It even has a quote from uh, Box Office on the cover, an epic story, riveting, brilliant. I don't even know who reviewed this for Box Office. Do you remember? An, an epic story, riveting, brilliant? I'm thinking uh, PH. Pete? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that, probably. Anyway, uh, no, this is really, really good. you got to check this out. Benazir Bhutto, to date, the first and only woman ever to lead a majority Muslim country, and she was assassinated uh, rather brutally. Can't yeah, believe it. Yeah, unbelievable. She got the Gandhi treatment. Uh, talk, what, what, what's up with Falco there? You know, here's the thing, Wade. When I think of Falco, I think of one thing. Der Commissar? Rock me, Amadeus. Uh, shoot, I knew it was one of the two. You know it. Awesome. This is, believe it or not, the story of Falco. Yes, Rock me, Amadeus, Falco. Guy was big in the 80s, mostly the, um, the mid-80s, and it's all about how this guy, when he was young, he was a classical pianist. You know, Speaking of tragic Austria. deaths, jeez. Just bizarre. And uh, yeah, and it's all about, you know, De Commissar, right? Yeah, yeah, as you mentioned, and Rock Me Amadeus was his biggest hit, and uh, it's it's a fictional movie directed by Tomas Roth about uh, freaking Falco. Falco's like the um, Falco's like the Freddie Mercury of uh, of Austria. Kind of, yeah, sort of. It's just <laughs> sad death, though. It really is. Wow. Oh, it's a it, it's just you know what the, the thing with the film is that it's a little it's got that Baz Luhrmann type audacious uh, you know pink pastel color scheme, so definitely it's flamboyant and a little bit crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, for the 
80s freak on your block, Falco, the rise and fall of an 80s pop icon, uh, Tomas Roth. It's crazy stuff. Grace Jones is in it. Wow. And uh, I don't even know if this is a good film. I can't even really opine on that <laughs> because it's just too crazy. But uh, it's all about Falco. All right. We got some listener mail we're going to uh, blow through here real quickly. Uh, we got an email from Luke Weber. Hello there, gods. I was hoping you could help me out with an issue. I'm having watching DVDs on my PS3. Now, Mark, you're, you're a PS3 guy. Yes, I am. I have always heard you guys talk about how great certain upconverted DVDs look on a BD player, but I'm not seeing it. When watching a DVD, the image looks softer on my HD Sony Bravia as opposed to how it looks on my standard Def TV, where it looks slightly sharper. Is the upconverter supposed to be turned on? Is it automatic, or are my standards too high? I was wondering if you guys have heard anything also about a double dip of the Hurt Locker in the near future, or should I just get that one now? Is it worth getting despite the low amount of extras? Um... And then lastly, he says, by the way, regarding the Kubrick set at the end of the month, do you guys know if it's worth pre-ordering uh, without thinking, or is there a chance that it will not live up to its name? Uh, for starters, I'm going to say, and I, and, and I can give him an update on the Kubrick set since Clockwork Orange arrived today. Not the rest of the set, but Clockwork Orange. Uh, absolutely. Spectacular. Really? Do, yeah, order that sucker right and pre-order it. Just pre-order it all to hell. Now, here's the thing. Everybody, yeah. now, this is the question everyone's going to ask, so I'm yeah. just going to throw it out there right now. Yeah. Everybody knows yes. that Kubrick shot full open mat, but framed for like one eight five, right? Yep. So th- that's true, right? He he sh- he shot open mat. I mean, he shot like well for certain films. Oh, really? Not not all the films. Not all the I films. I thought for everything he shot open mat, but no. but everybody framed for one eight five. No, not all of them. Not all of them. Two thousand one widescreen, uh, clock, uh, strange love widescreen. Now, Clockwork, I have not explored enough. It's widescreen. It's definitely widescreen. I haven't gone to see if there's like an option to look at it full frame. I don't think he shot Clockwork full frame, to be honest. I know Full Metal Jacket he did. I know The Shining he did. But he shot for full frame. He shot it full frame, but I think it was framed for like one eight. Like he, he wanted it projected widescreen, but for some reason he wanted... Well, he, yes, he, he composed it for the square frame because he preferred that. Oh, he did prefer that. He preferred the square frame. That's why it took forever for the widescreen versions to come out. But he doesn't. He, but he doesn't want widescreen. But Kubrick would not approve of a widescreen version. Uh, well, even his, even uh, you know, Leon Vitale uh, and the rest. Nobody of the really knows. Nobody really knows. Who cares? It is bizarre. It's bizarre. Because um, anyway. I was told that he basically shot a square. A, he he yeah. shot square. Yeah. Knowing that it would eventually wind up widescreen. Well, no, he shot square because he preferred the frame, but he knew that they'd release it widescreen, but he preferred the square frame. And you see that in Full Metal Jacket if you watch it with the, the full frame square, you know, aspect ratio, the one three three. It It's beautiful, but it's not how I want to watch it. Uh, as for double dipping on the Hurt Locker, yeah, do it. I, I, I emailed him back. Uh, Luke, the Summit is not the kind of company that's going to be releasing, you know, three and four and five uh, special editions. I think the Hurt Locker is the Hurt Locker that you're going to see now and for many years to come. I don't think a special edition is in the offing until Summit has, you know, another round of uh, venture capital that kicks them up into the next level. Um, but most importantly, on the upconverting issue, uh, have you noticed the DVDs are soft on the PS3 when they're upconverted? No. Okay, that's interesting. Do you? I, well, I, I don't have a PS3, but... Uh, Loser. I don't care to have a PS3, but I will say this. The, you know, I have a sharp television and uh, combined with an Oppo player, and the Oppo has a great upconverter, considered the best upconverter in the business. 
if you just have a killer television that, that gives you unbelievable Blu-ray uh, reproduction, that upconverter should really deliver. So I'm going out on a limb here, and uh, I'm going to say that the PS3 upconverter is probably not doing its job uh, as well as it should. But then again, Sony doesn't really want you watching Blu-rays on their PS3 or watching DVDs on their PS3. They want you watching Blu-rays. They want you to, you know, the upconverter is not... They don't want you seeing DVDs and going, well, it looks pretty great upconverted. No reason to get a Blu-ray because Sony makes Blu-rays. You know, Sony is the Blu-ray. They're the Blu-ray people. And they're a, a movie studio, and they want yeah. you to buy their Blu-rays. Yeah, absolutely. They, they want you to buy Sony movies on Blu-ray and then watch them on a Sony Blu-ray player. Exactly. 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 Uh, next, we got a uh, got an email from Killian McGillicuddy. Oh, I love that name. Good Irish name, Killian. A great name. Is McGillic- that really his name? That's his name, man. Killian McGillicuddy. Uh, thanks from Ireland, he says. Uh, he says, hello. You read out my email before, remember? The guy with the name McGillicuddy. I love uh, Ireland. I way. was wondering, why doesn't Criterion ship to Europe? You know the people. Pull some strings. Get me my Blu-rays. Also, I'm currently studying American cinema, and I'd like to know which of these films from these two groups of three are your favorites. And uh, he gives, me, gives us two groups. One is uh, Body and Soul from 47, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 56, and Vertigo. And then Scarface from 32, The Public Enemy, and The Roaring Twenties. And I'm going to have to go with that uh, second group because, you know, i going back and forth on this. But, I mean, Vertigo and Invasion of the Body Snatchers are both amazing. You know what? I'm going to stick with group one. I'm going to stick with group one. Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Vertigo. Not a big fan of Body and Soul, but Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 56. Vertigo, amazing. Scarface from 32, it's okay. Roaring Twenties, not so great. Public Enemy uh, is really good. So the, the group one wins for me. You? Give me that. <laughs> Take a look at this. Group one body. Now, can I can I uh, pick and choose? I don't know. I thought we were supposed to just pick one group. Well, I'm going to have to pick group one. Yeah, it's, vertigo. Right. Vertigo alone wins it, right? That is true. Yeah, got to go with that. Um, anyway, as to his other question, um, Killian, Lucy McGillicuddy. That's uh, Lucy's uh, on on I Love Lucy. That's her maiden name. You know that, right? Uh, you know how many episodes of I Love Lucy I've seen? You've seen none. I like mid two or something. It's unbelievable. How do you grow? How do you grow up in Los Angeles and never catch the endless? Like they were in your face every day. Channel Eleven all day, every day. What were you doing in the summer? I was probably watching cartoons or something. Oh my I was watching gosh. Star Trek reruns. I don't understand you. You're a strange man. Uh, now here's the here's the story on Criterion. The reason that Criterion doesn't ship to Europe is because uh, Criterion Films, by and large, they 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 are licensed. Uh, they're not like a studio, you know, that that owns their own library. They don't own the library. They have to license these titles from other people. Many of them are studio films, and a lot of them are foreign films. And um, there are other companies that have the rights to those films in Europe, generally speaking. So Criterion is shut out of the market by the other rights holders there, you know. And, and those rights holders sometimes may wait years to release a Blu-ray when Criterion has released one in the U.S., which really screws over people overseas. They get mad, they get angry, and they say, why don't I have my Blu-ray of that movie? They've just, got it in the U.S. Just get a region-free player and uh, go and, on and eBay. Hit, hit eBay or hit your local store that sells region-free discs. Yeah. That's, or, uh, yeah, you know, that's discs from different regions. The only way to do it. Not going to get Criterions in Europe anytime soon. Uh, Kyle Stevens writes us and says, uh, after listening to your latest podcast, I have a sad confession. My wife loves Lifetime movies, and I'm forced to watch them. I love the woman, but man, does she have bad taste. She thinks The Hangover is a better and funnier movie than The World's Greatest Lover. I want to watch The Apartment starring Jack Lemmon, and she insists on the Christmas shoes. I'm in bad movie hell when it's her turn to pick a movie. Any suggestions on how to improve her taste? Kyle Stevens. Um, Mark? 
Any suggestions on how to improve her taste? Now, you realize that The World's Greatest Lover was di- didn't just star Gene Wilder. It was directed by I Gene know. Wilder. I know. It's terrific. And it's, it's a pretty good movie. It is. I thoroughly enjoy it. Thoroughly enjoy it. Carol uh, Kane, Dom DeLuise. What, yeah. what, what movies will improve his wife's taste? What movies will improve his wife's taste? Like what can what can he show her to just get her off the nut and, and so that she'll start to appreciate really? You know what? Love her come back. Love start with back. start with Love her come back. Rock Hudson Doris Day. It's a great way to transition someone from lifetime movies to to real movies. How about, how about like a Douglas Sirk movie? Yeah, that'd work too. Yeah, that'd work is, too. Is that too like underneath? It's a little dark underneath. It's a little dark underneath, but uh, something like like uh, yeah, like like any Douglas Sirk movie would be a good place to start too. The Rock Hudson Doris Day movies are fun and frothy. How about uh, like a good contemporary romantic comedy like Notting Hill or 500 Days of Summer? When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally. Sure, sure. How about one of the Saw films? Uh, yeah, that could work too. <laughs> Saw 3, I think, is maybe the oh, best one. Oh, it's the best one. Yeah, yeah, it's the best one. I mean, it's so hard. It, it really, you know, with the Saw films, in terms of the best one, it's, it's like picking which child you you. you like I know, best. it is, right? Really, Saw 3, Saw 6, Saw 4. And then lastly, before we get down to kind of wrapping out the show, uh, we got an email from, uh, from Jordan Wills, who said, Greetings, gentle gods. Answer me these questions three. What has been taking Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair, uh, DVD Blu-ray from getting to North America, and have you seen a cut of it? I've been waiting since 2004 for this thing. Just got finished the, uh, doing a marathon with a group of friends I saw it with in high school, which was both my first R-rated and Tarantino experience in theaters, probably the greatest movie experience of my life. And I was wondering, since we don't have the discussion board questions anymore, we will, we'll get back to them. Uh, what was yours and the listeners' greatest film-going experience ever? Now, we can, we can, we'll solicit some more emails on that. Email us at godsatdigigods.com and tell us what your, uh, your greatest film-going experience was ever. Um, uh, and then he says, lastly, one more thing. I know Kill Bill has a movie TV reference every 30 seconds. I especially love the Highlander silhouette fight, but what Steven Seagal movie was the whole half-paralysis fight a reference to? Seem to remember a grizzled Steven Seagal coming out of a coma and fighting off enemies in a wheelchair with a broomstick as a child. Uh, to answer the first question, I expect that Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair, will come out fairly soon, hopefully, but here's the problem. Um, it's part of the Miramax Library. The Miramax Library was in turmoil until uh, Ron Tudor bought it from Disney after much nasty negotiation. And they now have a couple of output deals, one with uh, Echo Bridge and another one with Lionsgate. Echo Bridge has been releasing tons of Miramax library titles, essentially just re-releasing the Disney transfers. They're just It's all the same artwork, same masters, no, nothing new. And then I think you're going to start to see some splashier stuff from the more A-list titles coming out of uh, Lionsgate. So hopefully that is in the, uh, the first set of A-list titles. Shakespeare in Love and, you know, Cinema Paradiso and a few things in there that will the obvious Miramax uh, A-listers. Hopefully by the end of the year we'll start seeing some of those. I would say maybe not by the end of the year for this particular film, but uh, let's hope soon. I agree. I'd like to see the whole, the whole thing. Um, my, the greatest movie experience of my life. Mark, you go first. Greatest movie-going experience? Yeah. That's tough, man. I mean, how do you say one thing? I, I, I've got two. Really? Oh, yeah. What are your two? I've got two. Very easy. One was the... Uh, the first one was the re-release of um, The Sound of Music 
gosh, what was it? Uh, maybe 15, 16 years ago, it was like an anniversary release. Uh, maybe, maybe longer than that. But uh, I, I saw it in 70 millimeter in Century City in the old the Plit theaters, which later became Cineplexes, and then they tore them down and they put up that monstrous CAA, disgusting black hole, awesome bl- Death Star of a building. And um, that was amazing, man. 70 millimeter, that movie just came alive. I sat there, I was crying at the intermission, crying my eyes out, could not believe it. I took my mother. It was this great you know, mother-son experience. And I looked next to me, and here's a woman and, uh, and her daughter, and they are just crying. They're bawling their eyes out as well. Got to talking to the woman. You know who it was? Uh, who? Mrs. Harf Bennett. <laughs> How about that? that? But that was. That was one awesome. of the greatest movie-going experiences of my life. And the other one was seeing the, uh, another 70-millimeter projection at the Academy. Um, the first time it had been shown in 70-millimeter in probably 30-some years. Ryan's Daughter, the David Lean film, and it was just the most transcendent thing I have ever seen projected. Completely, pristinely restored, projected in 70, blew my mind. Those are mine. Wait, Yours? Uh, hmm. I guess I, if I had to pick one, I guess I'd have to say that when The Empire Strikes Back came out, uh, I was living with my father. I think I was. And um, we didn't want to see the film because the lines were too long. This is back when you had to wait three hours in a line to see a sure, movie. Sure, sure. Uh, but we lived in Westwood at the time. Yep. And the film was playing in Westwood. Mm. So we happened, to have, we happened to take a walk on a Saturday morning, just to take a walk. Sure. And we walked by the theater, the Avco Theater, where it was playing, Empire Strikes Back. Yep. And uh, we walked by the line, and we said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to wait in this line. We didn't expect to. We thought we'd see it in like three weeks when the lines died down. Yep. But we said, you know what? We're going to wait in this line anyway because we don't care. Ah, we yes. waited in the line. We saw the movie on a total whim. And again, this is back when you really had to wait three hours to see a movie. That was, totally. that was like no joke. And as the lights went down, my dad gave me a little kiss because he was so glad that we actually said, you know what? We're not going to care. We're just going to go see this movie. Rock on. There you go. Empire Strikes Back. Beautiful. And as for the last question, I have no idea what Steven Seagal movie that would be. <laughs> I really have no idea. All of them. All of them. All right, we're going to wrap out with one bit of television and then a couple of, a couple of movies uh, new to DVD. Webster Season 2. Honestly, this kid is now, like, fat and annoying, it's, it, and he hasn't grown. He's grown out. He hasn't grown up. Um, but uh, there it is. You know what? Webster, I don't know, man. You're whatever. You're, you're a creepy kid. But this is from Shot Factory. There are no extras here, but... Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people are fans of this show. I look at Webster, and I just, I'm just reminded of some of uh, Michael Jackson's very strange peccadillos. Um, Blue Valentine, Mark. Darn it all. We, I, I don't I know. know, man. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in it. and It's, it's a great acting tour de force, but it feels like an acting class, doesn't it? It does, and uh, I just don't know, ultimately, if the movie ever gets to the bottom of what went wrong with their marriage. I, I know. It's, uh, this is Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams got a, um, an Oscar nomination for this, and she's a great actress, and she keeps getting nominations for these movies she's just never going to win for. So I, I applaud her choices, but... This is from Anchor Bay. They sent it to us on Blu-ray and on DVD. Uh, I think it's just fine on DVD. I, I really don't know that you need to get this on Blu-ray. It's meant to be kind of gritty. And, um, it, you know, stick with, stick with it on, on DVD if you, if you don't feel the compulsion to go Blu-ray on everything because it's, uh, it's perfectly fine. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
Well, anyway, uh, there's a very decent audio commentary on here with uh, the director, Derek Chianfranza, and uh, his editor. And there's a couple of other little tidbits, home movies, deleted scenes, and uh, making a featurette. Not much by way of extras. The commentary is fine. It's not great, but it's good. It's decently informative for a movie that's not that spectacular. And then lastly, we have got Something Wild from Criterion on Blu-ray. Um, Something Wild uh, is not one of my favorite films. How are you on Something Wild? Uh, it's not my one of my favorite films of his. Yeah. Jonathan Devin. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um... It's, it's okay. sort of like his version of After Hours. Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. But whatever. I, it, it's it, it's a film that kind of resonates with some people. I I guess it just you know Jeff Daniels, Melanie Griffith. It just feels like an artifact of the '80s. It just feels so '80s to me. The, the photography, the costumes, everything. I don't know. It just doesn't. It's not brilliant. But anyway, uh, it's it's good good Blu-ray if you're really into it. So um, you know, uh, interesting new interviews and uh, really good transfers. And there it is. So, uh, once again, giveaways. Send us those emails to uh, godsdigigods.com. Spike, tell us your favorite Spike Lee film, and uh, we'll get you copies of If the Creek Don't Rise. Wade Mark signing out. <laughs>